she leads, she thrives. The home of inspired conversations, practical and creative wisdom, expansive leadership and business insights, abundant braggadocious moments of celebration, and useful info you can actually do something with. You'll hear about mindset, marketing, money, magnetism, self-awareness and the Thrive Factor framework, its archetypes and more. Amplify your role as a leader, a self-led soul. Tap into your effortless success zone. Turn your ingeniousness and wisdom into profitable income streams. From solo shows to guests you definitely want more from, there's something for every ambitious, ingenious soul. I'm Shannon Dunn, a true OG of the business coaching space with an obsession with thriving. You are so welcome here. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everybody. I'm Shannon Dunn, your host here at She Leads, She Thrives podcast and a long-term business and leadership coach. And I am here today with another amazing guest introduced to you. So as I, you've probably, if you've been listening for a while, you've got the gist that I only invite people to come to the show to be guests because there's something about them, their content, their work, what they stand for that's really stood out for me and something I also feel is of value to share with those of you who are listening in, the you know ambitious, impact-driven souls. A lot of you are working in the, the coaching, the mentoring, the guidance space, but you're online service providers. So when I first came across this, this fabulous soul, I, it was a little while ago now, and it was just something about particularly, I'm going to ask a specific question about this, so I kind of won't give it away now, but there was something about something specific she was sharing that I'd been doing some research about at the time is like oh where are you like we need more of you so she's like you may remember me reaching out to you with a message about what it was about yes so we'll get to and kind of unravel that once we talk about your coaching work and and self-belief but let me introduce her so you can hear a little bit about what she's all about and then we will get to some questions and co-create a fabulous conversation for you all to listen to today so Sass Pethetic is a coach obsessed, I love that was in capitals in like really bold, yeah, with helping you heal your self-doubt. After completing her master's dissertation on the experience of self-doubt, she spent the last 10 years working with hundreds of coaching clients to develop an evidence-based, trauma-informed, ICF-accredited coaching methodology. That's a huge accomplishment. So well done. It's massive. Thank you. She's the founder of Self-Belief School, where she helps humans move from understanding the root causes of self-doubt to cultivating tangible and sustainable self-belief, self-acceptance, self-worth and self-trust, all of the good selves. Uh, she also teaches coaches, therapists and mentors how to support clients who are impacted by self-doubt in the Self-Belief Coaching Academy. And she's a host of Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. That's a mouthful. Lots of stuff there, which is very cool. We were just talking about, would you say it was 2017 when your podcast went live? So long-term podcaster. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. welcome, Sass. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm just thrilled to be here, Shannon. Really nice to talk to you. So Sass is joining us from the UK, but you may hear her accent is not that British, right? So do you want to tell everyone a little bit about, a tiny bit about your background, and then I'm going to dive into some questions about the things I want to ask you about today. Yeah, sure. I grew up as an immigrant, uh, a, a, the first generation immigrant of um, British settlers in New Zealand, and uh, always felt like an outsider. Mm. And is and really just escaped my childhood through reading, um, and 
couldn't wait to travel, just wanted to see the world, wanted to get out of little old New Zealand. <laughs> and the older I get, the more I realize how precious my childhood actually was. Wow. And um, yeah, I've lived in the UK for around 20 years now. Um, so I've kind of immigrated back to the UK from where my parents first came from. Yeah. But um, but yeah, just absolutely love, love, love my work. I used to work in the city in London as a management consultant, which was wore a lot of suits and drank my feelings. <laughs> That's how I describe that time. I think back to my, like there's kind of like five years of my 20s where I spent in London mostly as a base where I did a lot of travel. There was a lot of people doing that, very much the suited yeah. up community that, as you said, drank a lot, partied a lot of whatever they were not dealing with. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. so interesting. Now, your background and pathway to coaching, and I love this. I was reading on your website something you refer to as your learning lineage. It's like, yes, um, it just made me think of, firstly, I have an archetype framework that I use as the core of my business. For, I've done that for the last 14 years. Mentor teacher is a common archetype amongst my community. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is like the fact you reference learning and you've just said about how much you love books. Definitely a mentor teacher. And you wouldn't have kind of headed to teaching like you have without that archetype, but love that. But, you know, it was fascinating to read about how you got to where you've got to and all the different things you've studied and what you've done. So your commitment to learning is palpable. Like it doesn't, it didn't take much to work that out. But what got you into coaching though? If you said you come from being a management consultant, what got you into coaching? Well, I really didn't love management consulting. <laughs> and I felt like a fraud the whole freaking time. Like I just thought I was often the only woman in the room. I was often the youngest person in the room. Yeah. So you know what that's like when you're kind of ambitious and I do. And I, I or, right? Like, and and I always felt like I had to keep proving my worth and proving my space. So I worked twice as hard as every other bloke in the room. And um, I think it was my third burnout where I thought maybe I should make some changes. <laughs> Something's not working. <laughs> Something's got to shift. But I'd always like I didn't love the work. Like I found I found it quite unfulfilling even though it was amazing to be working in the city and doing all of that good exciting stuff what I loved about my job was that so many people would tap me on the shoulder and go can we go for a coffee can we go for a drink and they would just tell me yes. about their stuff their marriage that was falling apart or the person they were having an affair with don't tell anyone or the situation with a boss that they couldn't resolve all of those offers, I felt like the kind of central point of contact for all That's workplace like drama. <laughs> and it, it may have been because I was the mostly the only woman in the team. Yeah. I worked in a very male-dominated field. But I think there was, I have come to realize that I do, I do have that. That's always happened to me. I remember at primary school, kids telling me stuff like right. you know, what was happening at home. No, I and think I think. And so that wouldn't be an uncommon thing for a lot of people that have ended up in counselling, therapy, coaching, is that we were the ones, because I was the same, that that everyone kind of like, can I talk to you? And and you, yeah. you, the way you listened or the way you helped me or the thing that, that you suggested, you know, yeah. So keep going. <laughs> Completely. And, you know, and I, I think as well, like I've come to sort of believe that, you know, maybe what, happens is when we come to planet earth we actually have a bit of a mission mm. I think a lot of us that are in real heartfelt businesses 
we feel that sense of mission and sense of purpose with our work. And wherever we end up, like whether you're on a, you know, trading floor in the city of London, that just becomes the stage where you do your work, right? So I was, without any real skill, knowledge or capability, I was counselling grown men about how to respectfully sort their shit out with their marriage. Um, And it wasn't until I burnt out myself and really had to sort of look at what were the choices I was making? Did I like who I was becoming? Um, I'd also suffered a really big, two massive big grief, griefy losses okay. in a year. And that was a real like come to Jesus moment of, yeah. okay, love, you know, life is pretty freaking short. So what are you going to do? Yeah, you have a choice. And I actually, exactly. And I think, I don't think I'd realized that I had a choice before. Because you know what it's like when you're kind of starting to climb the ladder? You get quite boxed in, and we do that to ourselves, I think. Well, I certainly did. When you're in a, you know, an employment kind of scenario, when you are, just said, you're climbing kind of some kind of a ladder, you you meet with your, you know, your, your boss or the person above them, and they kind of map out a succession plan for you. So you kind of are, like, not forced, but in some ways kind of forced or dragged up that ladder if that's the kind of, individual if you're naturally an ambitious soul so yeah I'm, I'm completely a lot of people listening who've been there yeah to that yeah and honestly the thought of having my boss's job made me come out in hives like literally hives wow and I, I just wasn't very happy um and I just recently started to experiment with getting sober which was bringing up all kinds of stuff and within a year um I just thought okay, I'm going to make some real changes. And I ended up taking voluntary redundancy and I actually got paid out, which allowed me to take some time off. And that gave me the space and the freedom to really think about what I wanted to do. And I'd had some coaching myself and I'd been, you know, some workplaces who are like, we're going to, we're going to train all the management team coaching. Oh, yeah. That's the That's, new thing. That was, yeah, that was my introduction yeah. to coaching two decades ago as well. And I remember yeah. to my boss at the time, what do you mean you're getting a coach for us as like as a frontline yeah. manager? Because coaching to me was related to sports. Yes. Well, we we all got um we all got trained in the fun, the fundamentals of coaching, and I just thought this is freaking awesome. I really enjoy this. I can totally see how this would work. Was never mentioned again after the training. I think we were just using up the training budget, to be fair. But when I took time off, I got a lot of therapy, and then I got some coaching, and there was something about it that really felt exciting to me that that idea of actually helping a human. And my ambition kind of evaporated as well during that time. I was just like, I just don't want to go back into those towers of glass and steel. That holds no appeal to me. Ended up, um, long story short, ended up going to a a coach training, a practitioner coach training in person back when we did that. And from about the first hour or so, I was like physic, like my whole body just felt like, fizzing like even talking about it now I've kind of got goosebumps that feeling of this is it yes exactly that yeah and I just I was like felt it was like falling in love I felt like I was having this massive sexy affair with coaching meanwhile I was kind of earning some pennies in my day job but my 
absolute focus as soon as that training took about six months and as soon as I finished I was like my focus is to to do this work Mm -hmm. I have no freaking idea I know your I know I read about your history Shannon and that you've had come from a family of entrepreneurs I had I had yeah I love that you did that Yeah, and I love like as I, I've shared this recently often now, it took me a while to kind of recognize the value of it. But both sets of grandparents, particularly my grandmothers, were in business. You know, yeah. one of them was a serial, like my mum's mum, a serial entrepreneur, had it like a, literally in fingers and every kind of business pie you could consider. My dad's parents were in business together, but there is no doubt in my mind that Nana was the boss. Like, you know, in Pop's business, but Nana was the, you know, the driving force behind that and the family of five children that they, you know, that they had, they and the kids all worked in the shop. So I didn't question whether you could be a business owner as a female, which, you know, a lot of, I think about my peers and I think you and I are very similar age and like what do you, why would you have gone to into business you know we were growing up in an era where you went to school and you finished school and you went to some kind of formal formal additional education or you got a job that was kind of it and like not many would have ever considered necessarily going into business at some point in time but that just made sense to me and I knew I never oh, like you didn't want to be locked in those cubicles <laughs> Well, yeah, and I and I guess I'm really envious of your role models and your family because, like, I was like, "Well, this is I love this work. I mean, coaching is just feels so exciting to me." But clearly, I can't make a job out of it. Like, it'll be a nice hobby. I'll figure out a way to include it in my next job. Like, that was I really I really didn't get. And this was in 2012, before business online was really even a thing it was very nascent at that time and you couldn't really take you could only just take payments I think but no one had really figured out how to do it I was a blogger so an anonymous blogger so we kind of knew that online was a thing but that was mostly about like you know sharing cryptic emotional song lyrics (laughs) it was it's so funny is that I love yeah. it when I you know do a little bit of networking in person locally here and they're the big particularly for women in business or female kind of founders it's very much a younger demographic so the you know the 30 something kind of mums side hustle business maybe going back to a job but raising their kids and trying to do all those things and I love saying to them things like I started my business before there was social media and they're like, what did you do? I was like, I went networking. I, I actually, yeah. but again, I reached out online as best as I could to learn, but it yeah. was very different. You had a teleconference. You didn't have a virtual summit with videos everywhere. Like, look at me, no. like I'm speaking this whole other language. Well, and I'm really grateful for that timing because I, ha- I like you, I had to get out. I had to, yeah. you know, tr- try out what it was like to talk about my work. And, you know, it was, you know, the irony isn't lost on me that I always felt quite drawn to looking at self-doubt, but I felt a shit ton of self-doubt in those early days of trying to, you know, figure out what this even meant. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. I'm trying to figure out what this even meant. Um but yeah, it, it was a real baptism of fire of what networking meant and, you know, just having the self-belief to say, I think I can help you yeah. and should we have a conversation? Huge, yeah. isn't it? And as I said, back in the early days, I love this, like we're having like a proper OG conversation about coaching. Right? 
started, which I don't always get to do. I love it. I can nerd out on this for hours and hours. But, um, you know, coaching particularly, I don't know what the UK was like, um, but certainly here and where I am in Perth on the West Coast of Australia, it probably was more, a, you know, the awareness of coaching on the East Coast different. But it was mm-hmm. like you'd say you're a coach and, and you'd done, you know, coaching training and people look at you like I had counselling and therapy qualifications and business stuff as well. Mm-hmm. That people are, okay, I get that, but what's this coaching thing? And how? what do you yeah. mean you're going to make it into a business? So even though I had that support from a, a, from seeing role models, I didn't have them around. They were, they were kind of all gone by the time I needed them really. And my dad had been in and out of small business and by his own definition had failed. So he, until he passed away six years ago, he was still saying to me, are you sure this is working? Like, Dad, I'm a, lot, a long way in. Yeah, like it's all good. I'm never yeah. going back to being an employee. So, yeah, but you're right. Wow. This is massive. It just, yeah. And it yeah. can rise up out of nowhere at any point in time. And I know yeah. your focus is on, you know, really, you know, I guess like activating self-belief in your clients and something that I read on your website really stood out to me and you wrote self-doubt is a protective mechanism that attempts in complex and sophisticated ways to hold us back from psychological risk. It finds a squillion different ways, doesn't it, right, to say don't do that, you might hurt yourself. We construct narratives about who we need to be to feel safe, to be accepted, to belong based on our lived experiences. When these stories become constraining, we find ourselves stuck between our dreams and desires and the risks they present. And I was just like, yes, that's it. You know, it's a different yeah. way to, to what I've seen self-doubt talked about. But, you know, what are, what are you, the kind of the ways that you support your clients to bring that innate protector of self-doubt on the journey to developing self-belief? Like wh- where do you kind of start with yeah. people when they have an awareness of like, and I don't want to keep doing this and live in that doubt kind of world? Well, I, I think this is the the difficulty that a lot of us are facing is we get told these narratives from the culture that say you got to fake it till you make it, right? Or you, you know, or just just burn off self doubt in whatever way you know you mm. need to do it, and or we get the story. So we get the story of the kind of rocky narrative of you know like just do it, smash through self doubt kind of thing, or we get the slightly um, esoteric version of good vibes only just think positive thoughts and that will bypass your self-doubt and I'm like look let's just have a freaking look at it yeah because my my research and my all of my work over the last 10 years has found that actually our doubt is always there for a really good reason it's there because in the past we've had experiences that have taught us that if we do this kind of thing if we um, stick our hand up and give our opinion especially as women identifying humans, that carries a risk. Yeah. A risk that will be judged, told we're too much, told we haven't done enough thinking, all of that stuff, right? We get projected all that stuff onto us. And so we, we end up taking care of ourselves as soon as, if you've had that kind of experience, if you're on an email chain in your work environment and someone questions something you've said, you're immediately going to go into how do I best take care of myself in this scenario? Mm. And we have, I found we have kind of preferred ways of taking care of ourselves, our sort of the ways we resist the discomfort of self-doubt. So lots of us people, please, we're like, oh, let me take care of you so you don't hate me. 
or we do things like procrastinate. We never send the bloody email or we, you know, we kind of sit on the sidelines and just wait until we know more and hope maybe someone else will, will take the lead. We do all these things. Those are just our protective responses. But the heartbreaking thing is we think that's who we are. I'm the person who can't confront it someone. Sure. I can't stand up for myself. I can't, you know, just address the thing. I procrastinate like it's my Olympic sport, you know, all of that. So, and we just say, oh, this is who I am. And my approach is, no, let's look at your self-doubt. Let's look at the root causes of it. Why is the very good reason, let's assume always there is a very good reason why you're responding in this way let's figure out what that's about and let's show ourselves some compassion and some understanding and we can look at what's a more helpful healthy way of approaching this Mm -hmm. because as adults we're so much more resourced and capable than we are perhaps when those um, more difficult experiences happened usually in childhood but often in our teen years and and you know those those 20s and 30s when we're just kind of figuring out who the heck we are right there's so many things and I think which leads into that amazing answer is that I was looking at and then listening to some of the episodes on your podcast and not realizing it had been around since as you said 2017 which is such a cool thing um but I think it was an episode from last year you shared the four times self-doubt shows up for coaches and I would suggest it possibly also shows up for coaches mentors counselors people in the online service provision space can you tell us more about these oh gosh I can't even remember the details (laughs) But what I have found, and and I'm just going to, this may differ from what's on the podcast, so forgive me, listeners, if you go listen to that and go, what's she on about? Evolution. Evolution. From when we share something content-wise, I know that my views of things evolve over time, and sometimes that evolution is quite rapid. Sometimes it takes a bit longer. So this is the current version of that. (laughs) The current version. Well, the things that I see a lot of is that often we we tell ourselves stories like, well, this has all been said before. So we kind of compare Mm. ourselves to other people in quite subtle and sophisticated ways. So we think we're doing the right thing, right? We'll give ourselves this kind of noble self-doubt, right? It's all been said before. I want to be original. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it as well as she is or he is. Um, All of that kind of stuff. So we do this kind of compare thing and often it will sound legitimate in our minds, but we're still saying my voice doesn't matter. Right. We're still using it as a way to hide. Yeah. The the thing that also makes me think of like based on the numerous conversations I've had with clients over just an even network over the years is the but what have I got that to offer that's different? Someone's already doing what I want to do or what I have been doing. So there's no space for me. It's like no BS to that. (laughs) They're not doing it your way. Exactly. And when I look at this through the lens of self-belief, no one is going to do it quite like you are. Never. Like I, t- I teach my methodology, which is um, quite uh, general, like you can use it in any flavor of coaching, yeah. but I teach a methodology to over 100 coaches now, and they're all using it in specific and different ways. They've all got the same, the same teaching, the same experience, but they're all translating it through their own experience and personality and the work they want to bring to the world. So I just think not always assume that you have got work to do. Like that idea of, you know, your mission on this on this planet in this lifetime. What is that? Because it will be it will be unique to you. You're a one off. That's it. And you 
we see this in content that's shared, but I feel like there's still barriers so often to people actually getting it and, you know, being excited about it and celebrating it, that they, that our differences are the best things about us, not the yeah. things that make us the same. And often when yeah. we try to fulfill that basic human need of wanting to belong, we let go of, or we not, not often consciously, it's often unconsciously, we let go of our differences. Yeah, because if we keep those, then do we really belong? And yes, we belong to the individual that we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think, you know, how many times have you heard like a slightly cliched saying or something that feels, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, intellectually, I kind of know it tr it's true, but then someone says it to you in their way and it's like, boof, oh, yes. that got me. I didn't just hear that, I felt it. Like, and it was just in that moment, that person had the self-belief to say, hey, here's how I see this thing that we all probably know is maybe true, right. but yeah. something resonated for you in that moment. And crikey, I'm, you know, in my 50s now, and I still get to that place of, shouldn't I have figured that out by now, you know, I know all I the time. <laughs> yeah. And I think that yeah. to me has become one of the exciting things about being human is that there is always something to learn. And that, you know, I love where you see Renan again, someone will share a piece of content and it was like, I was this many years old when I just, when I learned or whatever. And it was like. Yeah, today years old. Right? How did I yeah. not know this? Like, you know, that's yeah. the kind of thing behind it. And I, I love that. And I also love having conversations that where I'm sure you would as well, Sass, that with clients where you're watching them hear, as you said, hear something for the first time, even though it could be something that could that you would think would be relatively common knowing. Um, yeah, and yeah. watching them light up with the, you know, the energy and the excitement and the 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 motivation often to do something with that. In, you know, mm -hmm. that inspired action, like, you know, that comes from that little spark of what really? Like is just, I I know, it's so cool. And that's I find. In my observation, that's where the self-belief comes alive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, and yes. you know, I think that's the that's the kind of um, the difference between self-doubt and saying, "What have I got to say that's new and original, and why would anyone want this?" How do you know? How do I compare to other people? Yes. To moving into a place of self-belief where it's like, "I've got something to say that might be a bit different to other people." Here's my take. And that is about being a contributor, mm. right? I'm I'm not comparing myself to other people. I'm contributing to the whole piece, mm. right? So, you know, tons of people to look at self-doubt. Have at it. The world needs more people that have self-belief. Right, that's it. It's There's room for all of us, all of our voices and yeah, all of yeah. our contribution to those genuinely positive expressions in the world and that's yeah. in, not in denial of the things that underpin them as you said earlier yeah. like self-doubt has a useful mechanism it's like you know when I teach a lot about ego and you know that its role there particularly in relation to archetypes and that you know that kind of thing you know a lot of people would also talk about the shadow of our self as a negative thing and I'm like no that's what your greatest wisdom is and people look at me particularly in the psychology space where I've you know spent time and go no it's the it's all the things that we deny and where's negative and you know the bad stuff about us like no we're not let's not label good and bad let's yeah, actually yeah. look at things for what they are so cool all right so when I first came across your content we're getting get into that that bit now <laughs> 
I saw your posts about supporting other coaches, therapists, and mentors via coaching supervision. So as a counselor and a, you know, an art therapist and long-term coach, and I am developing a supervision model for my own leadership coaching certification and the community of Thrive Factor coaches, that was the bit that got me like, who is this woman? Like, who's doing this finally? Because for a long time, I felt that that supervision piece is missing in the coaching industry. And kind of I've looked for stuff over the years and you get a little bit of stuff, but it really looks really fluffy or empty. And having had experience of professional supervision when I was working as a therapist, I, you know, I know the benefits of it. And I was like, this coaches need this too. So firstly, tell us what supervision is. Like, I want to hear your definition of it. Yeah. Um, so supervision is very, I mean, I think it's got a bad name, like right, in it's terms a good of, good, word, you know, it? it's not a sexy branding, no, right? Because no. it feels like someone's going to be marking your homework. Yeah. And I remember talking but, to the to coach community about this last year and they're like, can we call it something different? So, so, yeah. 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 So I totally agree. But I think the reason that it's called supervision is because it's come from like many things coaching is so derivative of other um, professions as it finds its way but coaching supervision is um is more of a supported reflective space Mm -hmm. so it's there to help because most of us work alone Mm. and once we get out of training for many people it's like see ya good luck that's right so we're it's very isolating and I think for most of us we have that first initial coach training and then we might be connected to a Facebook group possibly but we don't really get the support and the proper like invested Mm. the investment from a supervisor I think is invaluable because they're basically saying I'm with you and I'm with your clients Mm. right so a supervisor has a really fascinating role I think because we have an abstracted relationship with the coach's clients yes right because you can bring to supervision depending on the the kind of um the style or the approach that the supervisor takes and everybody's different depending on their own context and the flavor of the work they do. The way I work is I'm like, you can bring anything about your clients, clients that you may have some sense of um, a resolution with Mm. something isn't quite working. Um, Something is missing from the, you feel like you're not reaching them or common, most common thing they have a great session, but they never do their homework in inverted commas, right? They never take action. Yes. Yeah. And so coaches will get very twisted and knots about all of that. Yeah. Um, Completely. Completely. It's very, very normal. And we can get quite irritated and bored and fed up and pissed off with our clients. Very normal. uh, All therapists experience this too. We're humans with coaching skills, right? But I think what can happen in a supervisory environment is that you get to bring that stuff and say, what the heck's going on? Mm -hmm. And someone who has had usually um, more experience, has been around the traps a bit more, understands you as a person with coaching skills and has some insight into your client can offer a way of getting a a really wider perspective on what might be going on, Mm -hmm. give you ideas for things you can try and ways that you can kind of resolve that within yourself. Because as we know, I think most of us 
who've been coaching for a while, you start to see that I don't need any more tools. I need deeper presence. That's my greatest gift. An understanding of how to actually support clients when you come to a space of being stuck. And I remember when I first was talked to, would have been probably in my counselling training, which I did before I did art therapy, around supervision uh, as a way to support you. And back then to be registered which is obviously coaching is not a you know regulated industry doesn't require registration, but you had to have a minimum number of supervision hours each year mm-hmm. to maintain your registration, which I felt was such a good thing. But I remember being told that yes, not only will it support you to better support your clients, but also it can be a space for you to unpack what may be happening in your life that could inadvertently influence your relationships with your clients which when you understand more about you know the dynamics of counseling and psychology and therapy work you know there's a whole lot of other things going on which I'll save them for another another episode I'll dive into them with people stuff I teach in the the actual coach intensive in uh for the Thrive Factor Coach Leadership Certification but it's just so useful so as I said this is why I was so excited when I was like to find you and see what you were doing and the way you were talking about it yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think for anyone who's like, what is supervision? I've never heard of that. I've been a coach for years and I've never heard of it. I'm, you know, you know, I totally understand that. And all I would say is the only reason I knew about it was because after about a year of starting to work with people with self-doubt, I was starting to see more and more people bring past trauma into the room. Mm-hmm. And I felt completely out of my depth. Yeah. I've, I know I've trained as a therapist, but I didn't practice or license as a therapist and so I probably have a bit more insight than the average Joe coach Mm. and I still felt like this is beyond the scope of my practice I need help and I was referring so many people it just felt like I'm a pit stop on the way to therapy this doesn't feel good um and so I sought out a um a therapist and a who uh, sorry a supervisor who was also a therapist Mm. and um and coach and I've I have been I've been coaching now for over a decade and I've always been in supervision and yeah. trauma-informed supervision with someone who is and I'm I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty hard to coach. I think I'm quite awkward to coach because I always know best. Those clients. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um oh yeah. Fellow Enneagram threes will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um but the the work that I have done with my supervisor has expanded my capacity to Mm. be with my clients in a way that nothing else could have I could have had thousands more more um hours of coaching practice but I wouldn't have gone any any deeper yeah And, and I think that's the thing to really know is that working with a supervisor is really stretchy work for a coach. Mm. It's quite courageous, I think, because you are going to be on your kind of, what I call your growth edges most of the time, because we have to take responsibility for how we're showing up. And we don't learn how to do that in any other environment. No, no, I agree with you completely. So something else I read that you shared was this phrase, as the coaching industry matures, being in supervision is now recognised as a standard for coaching excellence. I agree with you. But the reality is that I don't know many coaches or really have ever known many in my two decades in the industry that have ever engaged or would even have heard of supervision. As I said, I'm like mine, I feel very 
blessed to have had a lived experience of it. But equally, as a coach, I've not really sorted out. I've sought yeah. out certain coaches to work with and for my business, but also for self that I knew would maybe give me what a supervisor had given me in, you know, different previous professions, but they weren't actual supervisors or in the supervisory mm. role as such. Mm. So I, yeah, I agree with you. And I hope this does become the standard for coaching excellence moving forward. And yeah. it takes people like yourself doing the work you're doing for that to become a reality. But how did you come to the to the decision to actually offer supervision in your? You've got your little groups that you like. Was it like four to six coaches in mm. your group? How did you decide that 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 you wanted to do that and be a supervisor for coaches? So I've been in supervision. I've been receiving supervision for about ten years, mm. and um, I've as part of my postgraduate degree was offered additional supervision that sort of had a different kind of flavor to it. It was much more about what's the bridge between the theory and the practice in terms okay. of like research. Yeah. Um, and I and that really opened me up to, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And at the same time, um, like here in the UK, we have, we're not so focused on ICF. So the International Coaching Federation is um, a trade body. Brilliant. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great idea, I think, but um, yeah, it, it, but it's not going to solve everything. In the UK, we also have the Association of Coaching, and that is quite research led, but it's also very leadership and, and um, almost like work based leadership coaching type. Yeah. That's where it's come from. And more of the um, what do you, executive kind of coaching style. Executive yeah. leadership coaching, yeah. yeah. Um, but they have also got a really strong emphasis on supervision. So most, and they've done a great PR job over the last decade. And most UK employers who are looking for executive coaches will now require the coach to be in supervision because oh, they recognise <laughs> that it's, or well, they recognise that it's such a valuable yeah. quality assurance thing for them because how would any employer or HR department or OD department know? You know, what, who's a good coach? You know? That's it. They don't yeah. know. And I I yeah. think this is where both from a that kind of a, a type of coaching, but then we talk about the general public for, you know, yeah. health coach, life coach, money coach, business coach, whatever other coach you can think about, not really being able to truly understand or discern mm. who is a quality coach and who's not. So yeah. Again, why? Well, I think and that's that I think that's part of the the reason, like all the research tells us that almost every coach thinks supervision is a bloody good idea, but less than 30% of coaches are actually in yeah. supervision. Yeah. And I suspect my theory, and it comes back to, to self-doubt, is that that's because there is an ethical component to coaching supervision. So I'm uh, the reason I'm interested in my supervisees' clients is because I'm, I have a, a responsibility to them mm. at, in terms of ethical practice. Is this coach staying within their zone of competency? Or right. have they woken up one day and gone, I know, I'll be a money coach. Mm. And what are they actually doing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not to say you can't do that because, as you say, coaching is self-regulated. Mm. But one of the ways that I think supervision really brings something to the table is to say to the coach okay tell me what was going on for you when you decided to pivot your business where where are you feeling 
you know like you're within your scope of practice and out yeah it's yeah. that unpacking of what kind of what where how do we get here <laughs> like what is going on exactly influencing you and and um you know things like duty of care you know unconscious exactly yeah scope of practice of all things that I teach in the the coach intensive and I look at the other kinds of models of education around coaching and I don't say mine's the best I'm never going to claim that necessarily but it's done good compared to some of the very mm-hmm. average stuff that's out there and then we all have that other whole world of coaches who are not qualified in any way shape or form from a coaching methodology perspective so that's another episode entirely yeah. to talk about right well and, and I think that's the thing is my experience is that there are so many coaches who are really thoughtful who have invested in training who really do you know, care about doing work that is supportive and helpful and that recognize that there is no magic bullet, Mm. that this isn't a quick fix, that it's a relationship between our healthiest self and that of the client and that want to create a really, you know, unentangled, lovingly detached, Mm. present, grounded presence for our clients. I know so many coaches who are in that space and they're a bit like, oh, but am I doing that? Am I am I within my zone of genius here? Or doubts yeah. come up still. And yeah. again, it's no surprise because there is a an excessive number of coaches out there in the online space, all touting their own best ways of doing things. A lot of what we see in content is contradictory to the next kind of greatest mm. coach out there. So I'm not surprised because, again, as you said, we're human underneath all of this. Yeah. Whether we've yeah. had training or not, we are human. And we come with our baggage, if you like, of different things that influence our beliefs, our mindset, our behavior, our thoughts all the time. So it's no surprise that doubt comes up. It's a yeah. part of being a human. Yeah. yeah. And and I think as well, like in, in my experience, you know, the clients that I have had, you know, have done the most work myself to be able to show up for Mm -hmm. the ones that, you know, said they were going to do stuff and didn't do it, or they didn't really want to engage in the coaching, Mm -hmm. or they never quite felt ready for all of that stuff. If I hadn't been in supervision, I would have just referred them on and I would have learned nothing. But because I was in supervision, I was able to go, what is going on between us? Yeah. You know, and and I would say this was certainly my experience the first three, five years of coaching was I was usually attracting mostly women, but not all, not exclusively, um, who reminded me of me five years ago. Yeah. And I think which is a very common kind of client avatar. Yeah. yeah, very common. And I remember first times, if I think back to learning about client avatars, I'm sure I was told in those early days, look at yourself in the mirror. The person that you will be, your ideal client will be a version of you. Yeah. Huh? And, and yeah, I mean, you'll know this from your depth psychology work around, you know, um, around the shadow and around our own unconscious kind of resonances that actually you are more likely to get entangled with someone who reminds you of an aspect of you in an unhealthy way than you are with someone who is completely different for you. Right. And it also, I think, restricts your potential client base. 
Mm. Like I think the, the older I've got, the more experienced I've got. I now don't require anyone to be ready to do the work. No, Great no, marketing no. tagline, right? <laughs> and I don't really need you to share my values. I don't really even really need you to like me. And I still think I can help you. Yeah, yeah. If you're right. up for it, let's give it a go. Yeah, it comes from a genuine place. And I find one of the other dangers with with coaching a lot, and it's is not restricted to people that do not have a certification in coaching I see it all over the place is that lack of the understanding of scope of practice and the unconscious competence where but I know I can help and that huge I think genuine heartfelt desire to help people means that they stay in working relationships that they should not be in where it's not causing anybody any positive experience at all but it comes I think from a good place usually from a belief that they can help not yeah. fully understanding. And again, without supervision, safe space to actually explore and to be challenged to consider mm-hmm. what the relationships with your clients are actually like, you're missing a massive opportunity for yourself and yeah. your clients. Yeah. So. For sure. And, you know, I think for most of us that are in the helping professions, we have a, a shadow of rescuing people, mm-hmm. right? We, we people please, we rescue, we collude with our clients um that's a that's always a a risk and it's like so let's normalize it and and help you as the practitioner to to get okay with it so you can talk about what's going on in the room yeah yeah right so you can actually model what it's like to say oh I'm feeling a real need to want to rescue you from this how is how are you feeling about this Mm. and they might say which often happens I want you to rescue me too right. because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So now we're clear about that. Of, <laughs> now we yeah. So we get to kind of talk about that, right? What okay, but what do you what do you actually mm. hope to be able to do yourself? Because you know, my hope is that I kind of put myself out of work and that the clients I work with, you know, get to learn how to internalize their coaching skills and and tools so that they feel super resourced whenever self-doubt comes up in the future yeah no I love so that. if I'm rescuing them there's no hope of that no not at all yeah. and that is something that I find is so contradictory to some of the particular messaging in business coaching around long-term mentorship and they are talking about you know, you invest and you keep investing and you work with the same coach for years on end. That's not healthy, but that's, you know, again, another podcast for an episode for another time, really. (laughs) But yeah, it's got to be, there's, there's more understanding that's required. And I think the supervision model is such a useful one for the coaching industry. And I truly believe that it is going to support the industry in such positive ways as it does grow and potentially may become regulated at some point in time it's going to be interesting to see see what happens and there is now in the UK an association of coaching supervisors there is an international coaching supervision circle um there there are lots of resources I think um unfortunately you lost in Australia a real incredible stalwart of coaching research and Anthony Grant who sadly died last year and I know he, he, one of his like real research focus was how do we get supervision more widely talked about and utilized in Australia. Yeah. Um, so it's he's such a huge loss. But for anyone who's looking for evidence-based coaching 
sort of support and resources, I'd highly recommend giving him a little Google and looking at some of his papers. He's written extensively about coaching in Oz. So good, Sass. But again, the benefit of the fact we live in a world where everything is, you know, we can Google anything so that we don't have to just focus on what may or may not be available in our own region. We actually can tap into the learning, the research, the, the teaching, the inspiration, the whatever in other parts of the world, which is exactly yeah, what yeah. I've done because there was such limited options to look at at yeah. home first, which is so good. That hence well, we had our um, had our opening call for my supervision group that just started um, a couple of weeks ago, and there were women there from Canada, America, Hawaii, and the UK, yeah. and it was like, okay, cool, and we're all like. Oh. Yeah, you know that that's a group of like six women, and I just think, oh, we are going to have so much fun this year. Yeah, so good. I love it. I look yeah. forward to talking to you at other points during the year and hearing more about your and following. I'd love you that your evolution yeah. as well. So to to wrap us up, I hate this part yeah. of the conversation because it's like, what do you mean it's going to end? I you know I'm, I might revolutionise the like four hour episode one day. No, not really. But I think that some of the guests that I have on, I could easily talk to you ladies for hours and hours on end about the different topics and the things that we love and share but anyway to wrap us up for today got a few questions I've asked all of our guests the first one is Sass what role does leadership play in your life and business oh it's everything and I actually think we are all leaders of our own lives I know you probably share that too Shannon Mm -hmm. but you know just recognizing that I'm a grown-up I am utterly and solely accountable for myself, for what I think, what I feel, the shit I allow and to not allow in my space, the energy that I do allow. Like I have, I make so many decisions from a real like heart-centered leadership place, value-led leadership place every yeah. day. Yeah. It's- so cool. I know that when I was first defining the trifactor framework of the archetypes, it was always a back then I called it personal leadership. Now I'm more reused the term self-leadership framework. But in that, I decided to define what that personal leadership or self-leadership actually was. And I looked at it as it's the end result to the kind of lived experience of the choices we make and the action we take in response to those choices. Yeah. And that takes yeah. not knowing, recognizing. And being open to the fact that you have a choice in every moment. You might not have a choice yeah. about the thing you're doing, but you have a choice about how you respond to that, how you feel about yeah. it, how you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that just underpins it. And I agree. And honest, honestly, I think to have that responsibility, it's the honour of a lifetime. Like, it, mm. like to know that I'm in charge of me mm. is, yeah, it, it's such a, it feels like such an incredible honour. Yeah. Yeah, agree with you. I love it. So the next thing I'd love to know, how do you know when you're thriving? We can't like talk about beyond the she leads, she thrives yeah. and talk about thriving. So how do you know when you're thriving? Um, it's a kind of felt sense for me. Yes. So I get I get quite um I get quite fizzy feelings in my chest. Yeah. Feels very golden to me. I know that probably sounds a little weird, but no, yeah, it feels very fizzy like, earlier. I was yeah. like, of course I get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, golden fizzy feelings. Um, I tend to also have a ton of compassion for myself and for other people. Like mm-hmm. I'm just more patient. I'm like, we're good. You just pulled in front of me and I saw you wave and oh, we're good. Okay. I'm never gonna be the person that toots. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. it's like I think, and I think that's one of the things that I've really learned when I've realized 
I've probably learned all the coaching tools that I'm even going to need to know is actually, can I be with myself now? Can I be with the world right now? Because the more that I can be in a really grounded presence with myself, the more that that emanates and it does impact the people around you. Completely. completely. Absolutely. I talk about when we activate thriving, that it becomes a ripple effect that travels out into the world. So it totally. goes through you, but then the the immediate people in your world. So it might be family, friends, clients, and you know, when we're talking business, then it goes out to your immediate community and it just keeps, you know, trickling, like rippling out. And that to me is just one of the greatest gifts we can each give ourselves and, yeah. and each other. So very, very yeah. cool. Right. And I think as well, like um, Death has been one of my greatest teachers. Like I think I said to you just before I became a coach, I had two big losses. And um, the older I get, the more I know of, I know people that die younger than me. And I just keep coming back to what's left. Because if you've ever lost a person, you realize that you absolutely take nothing with you. Yeah. You take nothing. And what you leave behind are these impressions mm. and they they are quite a fear um I don't know esoteric maybe but they're ephemeral they're not something you can hold on to it's the feeling that you get when you remember that person yes. so while I have no, you know no desire <laughs> to be living my life as if I really just want you to have good memories when I die but I do think that that's the thing that people will remember. What was it like to be in your presence? They probably won't really listen very much to what you say. No, not How did they feel with you? You know? Yeah, that's such a good thing. How did they feel about themselves when they were with you? So, yeah. I love it. So how can people connect with you? Like, where do we find you online? Oh, I spend far too much time on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I found you. So it was obviously a good yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah so I'm um I'm at Sass Petherick on Instagram you can find me there and that will have links to my website and other things and um as you introduce me I have two main programs one is self-belief school and that is for humans with self-doubt that's a lovely year-long program and um and self-belief coaching academy which is for practitioners to to learn my methodology and get licensed in that and that's that's really supported for you yeah. So, Very cool. And we will make yeah. sure as we do with every one of our guests that all the links that you've given us uh, in the show notes, along with the transcript of this entire conversation that we've co-created today. And so you know, if anybody, it, it, I find it interesting when people reach out, I go, can't find, just like, have you checked their show notes? Every woman <laughs> easy for anyone who is curious is to, to be able to check in and find our guests. And, you know, and if you are active follower of myself on Instagram or you know, receive emails from me, then you will know that I will tag in our guests when we go live in the show. Yeah, so perfect. always on Instagram yeah. first and then through to Facebook as well. So no yeah. excuses, I say, no excuses. So beautiful, yeah. Sass, thank you so much for joining me. You know, your morning, my evening, but perfect. Yeah. I love the way we can work the time zones in our favour. Uh, to yeah, do- and on a full moon as well, it's pretty oh, cool. Isn't it just, I know. And yeah. I say very good, expansive visibility full moon. So yeah, perfect, totally. right? Love it. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me and for all of the wisdom that you've shared today. I've loved the conversation. I'm not yeah, being adverse to having people back as guests in the future. So it might be a while, <laughs> you never know. We might, we might have another. I'd love to. 
day. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to us. And I hope that no matter what it is that you do in your business, that you found some value in here. And I often talk, particularly when we end up having a focus about something to do with coaching, mentoring, that kind of online service provision, that ESAs is valuable for you if you are in those spaces. But equally, if you're a consumer of those things, this is also valuable to you to understand. If you are out there receiving coaching, ask your coach if they know what supervision is, just to see how they (laughs) respond. You might get a blank look. It's not uncommon that, as I said, coaches, and I know that for the Thrive Factor Coach community, they kind of, some of them had heard of it, but had no idea really what it was, except for, as, as we were talked about earlier, the whole, oh, don't like that word. It's like, no, but let's kind of take it for what it means and represents and the gift it can give all of us rather than focusing on the name of it. Um, so I think it's such a, a great thing. So let's see how this whole notion of supervision goes for coaching in the world. I'm here to cheer it and I'm so glad to connect with people like you, Sas, who are further ahead with what they're doing and really creating great opportunities for coaches to be receiving or on the receiving end and co-contributing to the supervision or supervision, supervisory relationship. There you go. That's the words I was looking for. So thanks. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks, Shana. And um, yeah, guests, thank you. Um, and listeners, I should say, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you follow us and do all the things. And if you found value in this episode, please share it with someone, even just one person who you know will also appreciate it. It would be really cool to, you know, give people a chance to listen to what Sass had to share today and the conversation we had. So have a beautiful day. Stay safe wherever you are in the world. And remember, you were born to thrive. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. You are so valued and appreciated. Aside from this podcast, my favorite place to hang out online is definitely Instagram. So come and join me, Shannon underscore the Thrive Factor. And no, my DMs are always open for genuine questions and connections. For all the latest Thrive Factor goodness, visit thrivefactorco.com forward slash links, where you'll find more about thriving in life and business. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show and share it with your friends. Let's amplify thriving the world over.